This episode is sponsored by Arcat. You've heard us talk about Arcat. They've been sponsoring us forever, and we absolutely love every second of it. Hopefully you've taken the time to visit their site. This is a great tool for you. From small architectural firms to government agencies, everyone can benefit from what they've created. Arcat has huge libraries of free content. CAD, BIM, specs, lots more. Why is this important to you? Because Arcat has done all the work for you. You need a spec? It's in the CSI three-part master format, available in multiple file formats. And this is just one example. Arcat has tons of building product content ready for you to use. It's all free, and you don't have to register to download any of the content. If you've used other sites like we have, you must register to get content. Why bother with that? Go to Arcat. Make sure you check them out. They are at arcat.com, and we really appreciate their sponsorship of ArcaSpeak. This podcast is also sponsored by BQE Core, and we are so excited to have BQE back once again to sponsor this show. Core is the award-winning solution made just for architects that combines time and expense tracking, billing, project management, and accounting in one streamlined platform. And with groundbreaking business intelligence and comprehensive mobile apps, the whole is even greater than the sum of its parts. Make work easy with Core and get a 15-day trial by going to bqe.com slash core. And if you click the link inside our show notes or on the website, that will let them know that you're coming from Arcuspeak. We would appreciate that because that helps the show out. So please head on over to arcuspeakpodcast.com and click on episode 133. And in the show notes, there will be links to everybody that we've talked about here in the sponsorship section of the beginning of the podcast. But the BQE link is there and the RCAT link is there as well. So go check out all of our sponsors at arcaspeakpodcast.com. Welcome to Arcaspeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. Welcome to episode 133 of the Arcaspeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. Something we wanted to do this episode was just do a little bit of follow-up from previous episodes and comments and some of the things that we've been hearing around the interwebs based on previous things we've said on the show. And one of those things, uh, we had a really great comment posted to the site, and we're breaking the rule of the commenter here because at the end of their comment, he said we don't need to respond to him. But we thought it might be interesting to do so because we've done a little bit more digging on the zero net energy stuff that we were talking about in the last episode. And he had a bunch of questions and, and points to kind of make. And, and basically, I guess, kind of around the theme of what is the best way to do this? Is it really worth it uh, for, for owners? Is it really worth it for architects to be pursuing this? How can we incentivize people to do this kind of thing? And all, all around zero net energy. And, I, and there was a, a really good article that I guess we'll link to in the show notes too, to kind of help understand a little bit more about where net zero is headed based on research. And I guess to kind of summarize, um, I guess I already did summarize, but but just thinking about <laughs> some, some of Lee's, Lee Calisti's uh, comment here, I mean, he, he really is talking, coming from a perspective of small firms, right? And Cormac and myself, we both talked about Kind of our firm's approach to the 2030 challenge and zero net energy, and it definitely a different scenario than than very small residential firms or small firms in general. So, I I think the thing that I think of whenever I think of uh, zero net energy stuff, especially now because it still seems like it's early days. I know a lot of firms are doing zero net energy projects. A lot of firms have been doing them for a long time, especially the ones who are interested in. Uh, like you were saying when we when we last talked, Cormac, you know the the living building challenge. I mean, lots of firms have been doing lead, and we know all these things are a little bit different. Right. But yeah. what I think of when I think of this is there's definitely kind of the the big bell curve, right? There's the early adopters, then there's the everybody else follows in, and then there's the laggers at the very end. 
And the difference, I think, this time is that it's, this is a little different than like an iPhone coming out, right, where it kind of changed everything. This is going to, and it already is in, in California at least, and, and I'm sure in several other states, where it's going to be code mandated. So it's not like you're going to get to choose to use Revit 15 years after it came out like firms are still doing today. Or you can choose to never buy an iPhone or an or a Android phone or whatever. But if you're going to be practicing architecture, you're going to have to follow these codes the more they get adopted, right, and, and by a certain date. And so what I think of every time I think about ZNE is, remember when uh, Tesla came out with their first car? It was the Tesla Roadster, and it was right. like yeah. $130,000 for this two-seater car. And yeah. it was, you know, it was a Lotus body and the Tesla innards. And, and I just thought, like, that's what I think of when I think of ZNE. I think of the early adopters, the people who are willing to put themselves out there as the the ones who are willing to save the world, right? The, that's what the people right. who buy Teslas at that early stage are funding the R&D for the next Tesla, who are then funding the R&D for the next Tesla. And so, uh, and we've seen that that exact thing happen, right? Where where they, they had the Roadster, then they had the Model S, and then there was that Model X thrown in there, and now there's the Model 3 coming out now, and the prices continue to drop. Uh, adoption goes up. Now they can't keep up with demand and everybody's kind of rooting for them. You know, they're the underdog. And I think that's kind of the same feeling I get with ZNE. So long story long, I mean, that was just kind of a, a roundabout way to get there. But I really see it as, yeah, we're not seeing it a whole lot. It is hard to convince owners to spend the extra money. It's it's probably not worth it. But they're, the project we're doing, that ZNE, I mean, they want to shine this beacon a little bit on themselves and say, this is what we stand for. This is where we believe things are going. Right. And and so they're willing to put themselves out there and say we are the early adopters, and we are the ones who want to save the world. And so that that's just kind of my take on that. Early on, most people's hesitation to even like start pursuing stuff like that, and hell, you know, forget even zero net energy. But you know, even back uh, when lead started and lead sounded great, you know, let's let's do a lead building, and everybody started to rush towards it. But then they started to see, oh well, you know. There's a huge, or at least the perception was, is that there's this huge upswing in my, you know, upfront costs. So maybe we won't go platinum. We'll go right. um, gold. Oh, no, 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 no. Gold's still really expensive. Let's go silver. No, no, let's go certified. You know, and then it's just like, okay, well, you know, maybe we won't do it for every project or we'll just do it for one and kind of see how it goes kind of thing. And, you know, they just, and you're right. So the early adopters... Um, the, the big early adopters, you know, they went all in and, um, you know, it's, it's still, <laughs> I, I, I like the analogy with the Revit, you know, I mean, was it 15 years later yeah. and people are still, you know, considering not it, of, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, that new Revit, I think we might give it a try. That, it's like, that BIM stuff. We're on, we're on like, you know, 15 years of this stuff and yeah. And, well, uh, the and, next and, the next big thing's going to come out, and Rev, right. Revit's not even going to be a thing for forever. But exactly the the thing that I like about all of the different analogies you were giving is, is that so you know we're we're using and it's and it's great that we're using Tesla as kind of like the the um, the directional. You know, it's like this is you know they went in they they did all of these things. I mean because there is companies early on. General Motors is a great example of, you know, they tried uh, several decades ago to have an electric car and pretty much in, in California was the recipient of it and realized that you know, it just it, it wasn't working for them. It wasn't financially viable because they, um, you know, because unfortunately there wasn't the infrastructure and everything else. And so well, there's a whole conspiracy around that thing. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then they were recalled them and everything else. And so. But, you know, the the taste was out there. It's like, oh, you know, I mean, we, we could have had this car um, all this time and think about what the technology would have been. And now, um, you know, with, with Tesla going out there and paving the way and really just saying, you know what, forget about um, all the bureaucracy behind it. I'm going to get, I'm just going to do it and keep doing it and force people to change. 
and it's made every single major car company um, now come out and and push electric cars. You know, now Chevy's got the Volt and the Bolt. Um, They've the been Bolt forced to out. respond, right? Yeah, you know, and 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 now Ford has announced that in the next um, what is it five years that they're going to have twenty different models that are all electric, twenty models from Ford. Yeah. I mean that's amazing, right? And it, and it's good because it's pushing them forward. Tipping not point. to talk about right. cars, but you know, I mean it's it was a really good analogy with now now people are sitting there saying okay, well you know lead's good and all, but for you know the problem that we're having with lead is really trying to convince the owners to spend this upfront cost or, um, you know, what is the value of getting the, the little plaque that says it's lead certified. And, and it's been really hard. I mean, we've got incentives in the state of Maryland for public schools that are funded by the state to go lead. And every one of those um, public schools, barring a few jurisdictions, have tried their damnedest to get around doing lead because they feel like it's more expensive. They feel like, you know, well, we, you know, our maintenance department doesn't, you know, can't uh, go out and buy all of this, you know, new fancy uh, green cleaning um, equipment and all this other stuff. And so they've tried everything to get around it. And, you know, if you were forced to do it per code, then um, you can, everybody has, now we've got what, you know, 20 years of, maybe not 20 years, but however many years of lead um, that we can see what the benefits are. And now we yeah. can see people. You know. I think what's interesting about this, this article, and again, we'll put the, the link, but it's by, it's on building design and constructions website, which has been a, a pretty good website. They've, they've published, yeah. published an article that I've been in. So it's gotta be good. Right. Um, oh, absolutely. They're they're citing Navigant research, and they're basically saying that it's going to increase exponentially till twenty thirty five. This the spending, um, the market is projected to increase annually at a rate of thirty eight point four percent in North America alone on ZNE. So <laughs> this is not a uh, accounting advice or anything, but buy stock in ZNE because that's the stock ticker. No, it's not. But um, it seems like the trend is going to it. It's it's kind of like you know this we're saying we're at the beginning of the bell curve and 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 so by twenty thirty five it looks like we're going to be well into the everybody's doing this and why is that because it's that's after twenty thirty and California you know twenty thirty is the date for all new commercial buildings to go zero net energy right. and and so you can kind of see where they're extrapolating that these numbers from. But but then I mean that's really where the stuff is being pushed. It's not so much being pushed in the residential uh, arena, but I think it's going to trickle down to that because you're there is lots of new construction still going on, and I guess that's kind of what what's interesting. And maybe I, this kind of leads into an, a follow up topic that that Neil was talking about doing, which is Neil, do you want to introduce your other topic? Because I think this plays into it. Like, what do we do with our old buildings? I mean, because this is talking about new stuff. This isn't talking about um, going back in and retrofitting buildings, right? Because, you know, that would be cost prohibitive. So yeah. so yeah. Go, what's your what's your other thing that you wanted to talk about with? Well, before, before we leave this one real quick, and I hate to derail us backwards because that was a great segue, but it, one of Lee's questions was about, should people get a badge or doing it, tooting their own horn? And, and I'd just like to respond to that part and just say, yeah, that I think they should because they're, they're doing what you had mentioned. Yeah. What Tesla has done, right. They're getting out in front of this. They're doing the, they're spending that money. They're yeah. spending the money. <laughs> Give them they're something. They're doing it. <laughs> and really that's the incubator, right? I mean, Cormac, you said 20 years of lead uh, for zero net energy. We haven't been around for doing that that long, but they're really setting the stage so that by 2030, there's going to be examples to go from yeah. and see how, how that's worked. But I also think another part of his question was, uh, it's very difficult to get an owner to spend the money, right? If they don't need to spend the money, why spend the money? It's a bad business deal. I get that. 
And so I do think... And they don't have to yet either, but I think like no, what we found... No, but I mean, they're going to. Yeah. And eventually, but but I think where I was going with this is to his, his other part of this question is I think the best approach is to incorporate these things into the code. And we're seeing that in California. I mean, the what we call Title 24 here, but our energy standards are going through the roof and it's squeezing uh, projects uh, yeah. and it's getting more and more expensive to do them. But we're going to this place that we're, we need to get to. And we're going to, every three years, it's going to keep getting a little tougher and a little tougher but I think that's what you have to do to get there. But as long as we're continuously dependent on fossil fuels as our primary source of electricity, it's becoming more expensive to operate these buildings. And see, mm-hmm. that's where that you know that that's where we usually tend to, you know, sway the conversation. Is they're like, well, you know, I mean, we've got to pay this, um, you know, and it's and it's not necessarily a true perception either. I think you make a great point, and this is another part of his question, which is, you know, should the AIA or the AEC community demonstrate the metrics and things like that to prove that it's better? We the do. code is going to force us to do that, but I think the AIA and our community needs to get out in front and start publishing articles, not just just to, like this one says, hey, it's gonna, there's going to be more money spent here. But I think we need to start actually showing as these buildings that have been built and, and that are out in front of this now, I think we need as a community to show those benefits over the past five years or the past 10 years. What is the operating cost? Because that's something this that I know LEED tries to do, which is understand the operating cost of a building over time. And Life cycle I think it would be important stuff, yeah. to get these types of buildings and have those studied for five or 10 years to show building owners and building developers that over time, this will pay for itself. Because I think you're right, Cormac, the costs are going to continue to go up as we continue to use fossil fuels for our energy. Well, the evolution of lead is, you know, at, at one point in time, it was like, you know, well, it's one and done. You, you design the building and, you design it for a performance level and there really was no great follow-up. And now that the evolution of lead is coming out, you know, you start doing uh, building follow-ups and, and trying to find out what the performance is. And now, now you have things like the living building challenge, um, uh, zero net energy. And all of these are basically requiring you to go back and not just look at, you know, the, the front, the upfront costs. I mean, not the, upfront cost of the building, but the upfront like performance levels. And then you, but you know, like living building challenge, it really doesn't start till, you know, a year after occupancy, when you really start to do a lot of the testing to make sure that the building is living up to, you know, what it was designed to, because I'll give you a good example is, you know, there was a building that I worked on that, you know, we know, um, when you first get in there, it's probably going to perform perfectly exactly the way you wanted it to. But then the load demand on all of the equipment in there and things like that, it's going to just blow it through the roof and it's not going to do what, you know, you were hoping to do all of the envelope and everything is going to do what it needs to do. But, you know, then you've got your load demands and everything else of the equipment. That's just going to, you know, <laughs> kill it. Um, but the great thing is, is that a lot of, what I've what I've seen huge difference between my life when I was working in K through twelve, where they of all people needed to do energy efficient efficient buildings because they spend so much money on their operation costs. I mean, the operation budgets are far outweigh their capital construction budgets, and so they need buildings that perform better so that they're not spending so much money on just the day-to-day operations of air conditioning and all of that other crap. Um, and I'm seeing in higher ed where they're willing to spend a little bit extra up front so that they can see that long-term benefit of reduced maintenance, reduced electric, you know, electricity costs and things like that. And so they're willing to pay that little extra. And it's, and it goes back to the, um, the uh, Tesla analogy of like, 
if you're willing to pay a little bit more, you will see the long-term benefits of this. Yeah. And, and that's what we've, we've got to educate the owners on. And we do it all the time. You know, people ask us, well, why are we doing, um, lead? And, you know, the first thing we do is we sit down and you say, okay, I'll give you another great example is we're going through some, um, value engineering exercises and, um, you know, they're like, well, you know, if, if we get rid of this or we get rid of this and we are like, well, you know, you're going to lose lead points if you do that. And they're like, well, will that matter overall? And we try to explain to them why it does matter and what the long-term effect of sacrificing lead points. And it's not just about sacrificing lead points, but it's sacrificing overall building performance. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that a lot of architects are, are also nervous about is how detailed, because basically you're based, you're saying that here is how the building is going to perform, right? Based yeah. on modeling, software modeling. Right. So right. architects are very nervous, number one, about making claims, right, for for the future based on software modeling that is not perfect. I mean, we don't put ourselves out there for liability of any kind. <laughs> we don't want to. And and so there's there's that kind of trepidation when it comes to that. There's also the trepidation of learning what it takes because it's it's a substantial effort to learn how to do all that as well. If if you don't simply have a consultant that will do it for you, all the energy modeling, right. uh, you, right. you will have, and especially in these smaller firms, like our person who's like Lee is asking here is like, who's going to do that work? Because you basically have to provide that to the entity to get the, the permitting process through because you, right. you have to, right. number one, say the building is going to perform and here's the data that shows that it's going to perform like this. And then it actually has to perform like that over time for the certification to go through. And that is a very liable kind of situation to be in the middle of. But just know that we this this is what we're, we've signed up for. I mean, this is the stuff that's in the code, at least where, where we're yeah. practicing and where we're concerned. Because if we don't take upon that responsibility upon ourselves somebody else is going to do that stuff for us and and again do you want to get into the position of doing less and less providing less and less value to the client to get the project built um, as as an architect or do you want to take that on and be that value uh, i think that that's definitely something worth considering because i think a lot of people are shying away from it but also realize that you're shying away from um your potential future jobs that you could be getting and, and the value that you add. And I'll also say that students are coming out of schools with knowledge how to do a lot of this, and they are super passionate about it. And so they're willing to take that kind of thing on. They don't maybe understand the total liabilities and responsibilities associated with it, but they are excited about doing it and the tools that they can use to do it. Well, the, but the, and this is also becoming not just a... Um like a sticking point for architects and owners and everybody else about, you know, whether or not to do energy efficiency and, and lead and things like that. But people who are going to like, say, let's, let's say kids who are going to school right now, who are wanting to go in and study all sorts of different types of environmental, um, uh, environmental programs. They want to go to schools that walk the walk. Um, they want to see, you know, okay, well I'm going in, um, for environmental design, well, does my environment, the building that I'm going to be working in, you know, contribute or, you know, doesn't contribute to like the overall environment, environmental impacts. I mean, I mean, there are things like that, that they can sell. It's just like, okay, well, why would I want to choose, you know, Auburn over, um, in the university of California? Well, Auburn does this and all of its buildings are this. And, you know, we, we have a long track record of doing this or vice versa. And they're like, well, you know, I mean, if I'm going to spend my money, I want to spend my money on people who are equally as passionate about what I do as, or what I want to do. Um, and so I'm going to pay my money to them. And even if I have to pay a little bit more money to go to, um, a California school, well, I'll do that because that's, you know, that's what I believe in. And, and that's, I, I see that growing trend as well. I mean, um, we do a lot of campus planning and a lot of campus planning is built around 
you know, how these schools can become more environmentally friendly and, um, you know, more energy efficient. And, and they're, they use that as much of, as a selling point for forward thinking schools, you know, as, as they do on their academics. And I I think that's great. And, um, because that's just going to continue to keep changing the mindset of the people who are using the buildings. Right now, people are just like, well, how much more is that going to cost me? Do I really want to spend that much money for it? Do I really need to have, and here's a, another example, do I really need to have vestibules? None of our other buildings have vestibules. Do I really need to have a vestibule? Well, yes, uh, Mr. Owner, you need a vestibule because the current ASHRAE uh, standards require X amount of this for your overall building envelope and the only way we can do that is with vestibules oh well you sure we can't value engineer those out (laughs) the hard part is is everybody knowing all that information and somebody says yes without knowing right Mm -hmm. right yeah yeah you don't know how that's going to ripple through well you know how many times i've had to like you know come to the defense of something that seems like low-hanging fruit on value engineering type um, you know, you're sitting around with a round table and you've got all sorts of people who are trying to come up with ideas to make the project, um, you know, fit the budgetary goals. And they were like, oh, you know, that right there looks like the perfect thing to cut. Yeah. And, you know, you have to be ready to tell them why. I've got one of those you can't cut exact things. And it has to do with exactly what we're talking about, because on the the last project that I worked on was it came time to reconcile some scope and budget and and there was a bunch of exterior shade fins on the building that were shading direct heat gain and yeah. glare in windows and you know these things look like they're just attached to the building and they sh- could easily be detached yep. right and and guess what like the answer is no because that is what allows the energy model on this building to work because it says it's going to exactly. perform a certain way. And you take those off, we have to redo all the energy model, which means we're going to recalc everything, which means your units are going to get bigger on the roof or wherever they are. They're going to get bigger. Or they're going to operate longer. Exactly. And, and, you know, and things like that, you know, they're like, well, you know, okay, so they're a little bit bigger. Well, you know, let's take, for instance, they're a little bit bigger. So now, um, because you have um, increased the the solar heat gain on your building, means that the units have to work longer throughout the day to provide the same comfort level as you did when they had the shading on there. So now you've increased your electrical cost. Not only have you increased your upfront cost of larger units, but now you've your life cycle cost. You've increased that, and now the those are working harder. And Got to replace you did them sooner, all to, and they cost and more. You did that, <laughs> yeah. And you did that all to save, let's say, forty thousand dollars. Yeah. And then you know, and so you go through all of that. I, I literally, I just did that on my current project, where you know we were looking to to save some money, and and of course, things like that are viewed as low hanging fruit for, you know, it's like, Oh yeah, well that's an easy one. That's no brainer. Let's take those off. Yeah, that's like pulling the, the and, thread on the sweater though. Right. Because it, it runs deep yep. <laughs> and, and it just go, you know, and it's like, well, you know, um, you were going to have, uh, this type of glazing, um, because we were shading it and, you know, through the high periods of time, we didn't really need the higher performing glass yeah. because, and so now you need the higher performing glass. So now you've, You've saved this money, but you've had to add this money to get the same effect as this one little shade. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it, it's interesting, and you need to know. And and that's actually you know um, you know one of his questions was does it drive up the cost? Well, does sometimes decisions make a huge impact, just like the sunshade dev- you know sunshading devices do um, on a building, and, and you know, especially like in your climate and, and where, you know, some of these buildings that we work on are. Um, if you're down in the Southeast uh, United States, well, guess what? High sun, lots of, you know, Southern and Western exposure just beaten into that building. And, you know, if you're not doing something to counteract all of that, it's going to just, your energy cost, your operating cost is going to be longer. The longer that those, you know, and another thing, the longer those units run throughout the thing, 
the the you you had kind of hinted to it you know the you're going to replace them faster because the the life cycle of that particular unit is being um diminished and and now you have to change the filters more and more often. Yeah. So now you're yeah. spending a lot more money on those, and then your motors break down, and then this, and then well, yeah, it just, just brings up a good point. All hell breaks loose. Exactly, it really does. It brings up a good point that, I, and, and you see this, I'm sure, a lot too, because these buildings that we're designing are are going to last for I don't know, fifty, let's just say fifty plus years for your nice round number. But the people mm-hmm. who are getting these projects built on the the teams you know the the user groups and the the you know the multi-headed monsters of all these different client groups and stuff how long are they going to be involved in the project you know that no actually one of my favorite tons of turnover right will this break down before i'm uh, before i leave the university or (laughs) or before i retire yeah so i mean on on the last project that i did the the dean was not even going to get to sit in his new office i mean it was it was actually had it you know it's gonna it's the dean's office he will not be the dean in it and and so that just kind of shows you where the a lot of the thinking now not always there are definitely people out there who are thinking about the next generations of people who are going to be using these and they're making their decisions based on what they think is best for the next generations but there is also a contingent of people who are very much only thinking about the next two years like what do i need to do because this is my stepping stone to the next thing and they're making decisions that are going to hopefully make them look good in the short term and then they don't care about it after that and i think right. that's something that we run into time and time again with decision makers uh, you can tell the difference immediately between the two but but that's something that that we see all the time people are totally willing to cut corners now because they're not going to be involved later um, and, and that's a big problem as well. Absolutely. You know, bringing this around a little bit to the residential side, one of the good news, let's, let's go, let's end this topic maybe on a positive here. Woohoo. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe this is maybe just in California. I don't know. I'm sure it's happening all over the country, but having solar panels, uh, PV on our houses here, and, and I'm talking mostly newer developments here that that is becoming a selling point. And this is getting back to a little, one of his last, uh, Lee's last portions of his questions here. It, it is becoming a selling feature and not so much that I think what's happening is, is there, there's definitely a little bit like, well, Hey, I can do this. And in, it means my bills are going to be lower and I can beat my chest over the next guy next door. So it, he wants to have that or she wants to have that too. And so I, I think it's it's certainly building and maybe I'm just in a bubble here in the Bay Area, in San Francisco Bay Area, that we're seeing more and more and more of that. And it's much, it's becoming much more popular. So there's there's some good news here that it is happening. It is bringing down the net or bringing up the net zero energy of these residential houses and, and multifamily developments that I'm working on. And it's, it's becoming a selling feature and not only just a selling feature for the, the buyer, but the, the developers as well, because it's like developer a down the street is doing it. So I better do it. Otherwise my houses aren't going to sell or my townhome units or condo units are not going to sell. So there's a little bit of this competition going on around here and it's all a net benefit. That sounds great. It really does. I wish it were um, more than just, you know, isolated California. Um, the problem is, is that when um, developer A, uh, who's not doing solar panels or solar hot water or, you know, tankless, you know, tankless hot water mm-hmm. and all this other stuff, um when he's not doing that, all he's going to do is just sell it cheaper because he's going to sell them. Yeah, they, they will sell. They will sell. But there definitely is people here in the Bay Area have the money because of the tech industry around here and such. So, I mean, I'm jealous because, gosh, I wish I could afford this stuff, but I can't. It is happening. And and I understand there's other parts of this country where oil is cheap and and it's a different sort of energy market. a little bit cheaper and, and, you know, and all that other thing. So 
you know, but I don't want it to sound, I don't want to, you know, sound, take your, uh, your high note and sound negative. And, and I think, to. no, because I think, <laughs> I think where all of this, you know, is going is, you know, one of the things is, is it, is it even worth the effort was, you know, kind of some of the, the things that I was pulling, you know, pulling out of reading some of his comments and things like that were, and, and I think, yes, it's absolutely worth the effort for us to basically spend a lot more time um, understanding, you know, where the market trends for uh, sustainable um, building practices and um, and things are going. Um, is it worth our time to not only understand that stuff, but understand the the ramifications of the upfront costs, the overall life life cycle, um, your overall um, energy expenditures throughout the thing, your maintenance um, on all of this stuff, and to be able to sit down with a client, especially in a residential, because I mean, if if you can if you can sell somebody something that directly impacts their wallet and show them that you should be doing this. Um, say that person is the CEO of a, of a company and they're wanting to build a new building and they're like, you know what? I mean, all of these things that I did in my house that have saved me money. Sure. You know, it was, I could have bought this house or built this house for, let's just throw out a, a generic number, $150 a square foot. Um, Gee. without all of this stuff, I know I, that's why I said, let's just throw out a generic number. It, but I spent $175 a square foot and got all of this savings back. And so my return on my investment, you know, could have been, you know, over the course of 20 years, but I really saw it in the first five years. And now it's just paying, paying me back you know, with all of this cost savings that I have and all of this maintenance free, um, you know, materials and stuff that I'm using. And, and so then he's going to say, I'm going to go and I'm going to do this. Um, I'm going to do this to our new building, you know, and, and let's do that. And, and, and you just need to kind of like go through this whole effort of trying to teach them how to, you know, it, it, sustainability, unfortunately right now. And I hate to say that, you know, this is kind of, it, it was a no brainer, you know, centuries ago and we just made everything easy because, you know, we got air conditioning and all this other stuff and let's just, let's just throw technology at it. And now we're like, Ooh, crap, that wasn't really the right thing to do. Let's go back to, you know, the way things were. And unfortunately, once you dangle a carrot in front of them, they don't want to give it back. Yeah. You know, so. so you, you raised the question, Cormac, is it worth our industry to invest in research and figure this stuff out and sell it to our clients and such. The article that we'll be posting here that Evan gave us uh, to talk about here says HVAC products and services, at least, or products and services in general, are going to hit $1.4 trillion by 2035, or this whole industry is going to grow at a 45.8% rate to 172.6 billion dollars in worldwide i guess what i'm yeah worldwide but what i guess what i'm getting at is that there's money here and and us as architects we need to be out front if we want to take advantage of what this article says here the growth in z and e over the next well i guess what it'd be to 17 years from now or over the next 17 years till 2035? Uh, yes. I th- the answer is yes. There is money yeah. there to be made, and we need to be out in the forefront of this, whether you're doing residential projects or commercial projects. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, and and do I, it. I, I, I think it's really hard to be in the position that somebody like Lee is in, where, because Cormac, you're, you're giving an example of a CEO doing this and I mean, really, it is architecture just for the CEOs out there. I mean, I'm a homeowner, and there are definitely thoughts that cross my mind of, oh, man, I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to be here in X years because I'm not going to realize the value out of that. I think it's totally different in the commercial world and in the public space where you're doing a building on a campus, and that campus is a legacy, and there's people who are going to 
you, you don't want to be found out for your failures 20 years down the road, right? You want that building to be as good or, you know, as it possibly can be so that it's still working for that, for that campus. And, and there's lots of accountability there, but, but when you're doing residential and you're trying to say that architecture is for everybody and hire an architect, right? Don't just go buy a, a developer house. Don't just go buy that tract house. Don't go just buy that, you know, architecture's for you too. It's really hard to convince somebody who's spending their life savings on a house to spend the extra money unless they really are concerned about future generations and they really are going to stay there for you know all the way through their retirement or whatever it is. I mean, there's just so many ways to look at this and so many angles to play out that I I think we can agree that it's it's the right thing to do, but it doesn't mean it's what the th- people are going to choose to do. Well, unfortunately, that that's that's highlighting a shift in the way that we live nowadays because there used to be a time when generations would grow up and you know pass the house mom and dad on would, and, yeah. yeah mom and dad would pass on and they would then pass the house on you know and those kind of things and we don't we don't live like that anymore we literally we go into buying a house is like will i be able to sell this in five ten years right. For, and make money on it where right? you know exactly yeah. and make a return on my investment and how little and, can i spend and, until i get there right? <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And, and honestly, I mean, you know, if, if you, if we had conscious, you know, um, you know, conscientious, uh, developers and things like that, that really wanted to make a difference and say, okay, you may only be here for 10 years, but you're going to be spending, instead of spending a hundred dollars a month on your electric bill, because, you know, we did all of these improvements and stuff on it. Um, you're only going to be spending $25 a month on your electric bill and, you know, start showing them all of these benefits and return on investments and why they want to spend for all these upgrades and, and things like that. I mean, it's just, you know, I think sustainability and the green movement and and all of these other things that have been, call them movements and all this other stuff, they've been around forever, (laughs) you know, and, you know, they're, they're not fly by night for you. And the the problem just is, is just like, you know, people right now, everything is cheap and easy for them. Uh, You know, why does Germany lead the the world in um, solar energy? It's because their energy is really expensive. When I lived there, the, the amount that we're paying now for gas, they were paying that and then some in the late eighties. And so if that's the cost of energy, you're going to want to figure out a way to make it a little bit cheaper or spend less on it. And that's why they lead the world, the world in, you know, um, residential energy or uh, residential solar use because it's just smarter, you know, (laughs) but, but it's because they had to live with really high gas prices and really high energy costs. Now that they're practically um, energy independent because of renewable energy, they're like, okay, well, this was hell. Hell, this was a no brainer, but we've, we've never been forced to suffer under really, really high, or we're just like, well, you know, we know it'll come back down. Yeah. The gas price right now is $3 a gallon, but don't worry. It'll come back down. It'll come back down to a dollar fifty. You know. We've, and so we've had, we have, we've, we've had those ahead. pain points at times and it has come down. So yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's it hasn't exploded yet, right? It's just barely being held together by band-aids, but it just really hasn't exploded yet. Well, the thing is is that I just I, I, I I've said this countless times over the course of the past two decades. The only way um, renewable energy is really going to take a foothold is if we suffer a little bit under really, really high um, energy costs for a long period of time when it forces us to say, oh, shit, we really need to do this. I mean, think about how many different presidents have, have we gone through that have either you know, enacted, um, 
miles per gallon standards on cars <laughs> and then have it repealed the next president. And then, you know, okay, well, we're going to go and try that again and then have it repealed. And it's over and over and over. And it's just, no one really seems to really suffer yet. <laughs> When's the big suffering going to start? <laughs> suffer fest. Yeah. Exactly. So maybe at the end of the day, we just need to suffer. It's a good name for the podcast, The Suffer Fest. Listen to I, this. I think we sh- we'll let our listeners uh, answer that question for us. When, when are we going to suffer <laughs> so that this will actually change? Or I'm curious about what other people think, you know, what, what, have, what have been their, you know, trials and tribulations on how to spend, you know, like spin or sell or whatever sustainability, you know, when people just don't feel like spending any upfront cost, even though they're not really seeing the long-term benefits of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we brought it up a little bit in the last episode, didn't we? Where we just, you know, there's a lot of things that we just have to do now because of code, but there's a lot of things that you don't even have to run through the client. And that sounds deceitful, but I don't I don't think it is. Like it's one of those yeah. things where it's a byproduct of the way that you already work. So you there's things yeah. that you just you just do and those are the right things to do for the building, for sustainability, for all for all those reasons. And they're not something that I mean may, maybe 20 years ago it was something where you did have to run that by the client, but now it's it's just accepted and it's the right thing to do. Let our listeners tell us their stories <laughs> of what they've experienced. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah, I think so. And and I think uh, we're we're kind of deep in this one, so let's leave our other topic that we teased earlier to maybe next time. How does that sound? Sounds good. Sure. All right. Well, with that, let me uh, at least thank our show sponsors here, <laughs> the, the people that keep the lights on. How's that sound? In a very energy efficient way. Absolutely. Yeah, they're all Absolutely. LEDs. Yeah. <laughs> well you know what where you can find a bunch of leds our first sponsor <laughs> go over well to done. arcat a-r-c-a-t dot com and check out all the things that they offer including being able to find a bunch of led light fixtures bim model bim model led light fixtures is that what you mean that's right absolutely specifying light totally specs yeah. or everything that's right that's right and hey we're also sponsored in this episode by core Powered by BQE, Core revolutionizes the way architects manage projects, time, and expenses, billing, and accounting. All the things you need to do to run your business. Efficiently. Efficiently, that's right. Saves you time, gives you the visibility, flexibility, and power you need to grow your firm. So learn more about them and take advantage of their 15-day free trial over at bqe.com slash core. And make sure you click the link in our show notes for that or on the website and let them know that uh, you heard about them on the show. They offer a great product, so go check it out. Yeah, because sustainability isn't just about regular power. It's about manpower and productivity, too. So People power, right? Doing more with less. (laughs) Doing more with less. (laughs) Speaking of more, how would you like to more ArcaSpeak, right? Go check out ArcaSpeakPodcast.com where you'll find links to our entire catalog, which actually this is our last episode of our fifth year of doing this show. You can go check out all of the previous 132 episodes by checking out ArcaSpeakPodcast.com. And you can follow along with all of us over on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And we're ArcaSpeak on Twitter, so that's A-R-C-H-I-S-P-K, by the way. So make sure you're following the correct ArcaSpeak Twitter account. Only one ArcaSpeak, man. What's that? There's only one ArcaSpeak. <laughs> that's right. You wish. There's only one. Well, actually, there's three of us, but there's only one ArcaSpeak. <laughs> hey, with that, everyone, thanks for listening, and tell a friend, stay subscribed. We'll catch you next time. See ya. And stay green. Green. That has a whole different meaning in California now. <laughs> I join the choir to sing. They're all competing for some other thing. I join the choir to sing. I join the choir to sing. They're all competing for some other thing. I join the choir to sing.
Yeah.